Good morning. Uh, welcome to week four of four as we've been talking and thinking together about uh, in town's calling uh, to building relationships across cultures. So cross-cultural friendship and ministry. Um, I want to say a, a word about that title in just a moment and then walk us through the last of our sessions. And uh, so we have uh, a lot ahead of us today. Exciting. Uh, let me take a moment to pray because one of the things that we want to happen when we gather like this on Sunday mornings is something far greater than just um, filling an hour or gathering some new information. Uh, we, we really think every person in the room is so broken that the only thing that can fix us is if the creator and redeemer of the whole universe does something. And if, if that something doesn't happen, then this hour isn't going to accomplish anything. So when we stop to pray, we're just asking, please do that something. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love everything that we know about you. And there is more to learn about you that would cause us to love you even more deeply. And when we love you deeply, then we will be healed and strengthened to love each other and to love the world in which you have placed us. And that's the only thing that will bring our, our world to the, the kind of grace and health and vitality that you designed it for. So uh, what is at stake this morning is far more than ending on time, uh, far more than making sure we get extra credit because we came early, uh, far more than just wrapping up a four-week series. What's at stake is the good of the world, which can only be accomplished if you change our hearts. So do with us as you please this morning. And we offer ourselves and open ourselves before you and wait for your work. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, we very intentionally chose to use a, a, a phrase to describe this four-week series, focusing on cross-cultural friendship and ministry, um, <clears throat> acknowledging that uh, there are times when uh, there are needs that we can meet, um, that, that in town as a church can uh, serve in ministry. Ministry is a word that means service. Um, serve people of all kinds of backgrounds and cultures and we want to stand ready to do that in whatever way that we can and yet we live at a time when it will be a significant testimony to the goodness of Jesus if we will just be about the business of making friends with people when that involves crossing some kind of significant cultural boundary um, there is a narrative in our world that says Christ Christianity is a dominant power movement and that it only prospers and flourishes because in the Western world, powerful, dominant cultures have represented the Christian gospel. But if you study Jesus, you, you don't read about power and dominance. If you study the early Christian church, our people are not a majority culture. We are a minority people. And um, so when, when, when we build relationships across cultural boundaries, it starts to break down that narrative that we are kind of a dominant, monocultural, monoethnic thing. And uh, so what we've trying to, been trying to do over the past few weeks is to show from the Scriptures themselves that this has always been God's intention, is that we would be a multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, community, not because it's trendy. Now, this is a 
an emphasis that goes in and out of favor depending on what century you live in and what place you live in around the globe. Um, but, but this is an emphasis that we pursue because it's what God has for us. So we've been giving a six-part answer to the question, why is in town pursuing cross-cultural friendship and ministry as a core component of our mission? Our mission is to pursue gospel restoration. And we think that building relationships across cultures isn't just an added extra, an option that we could choose, but it's at the heart of what we're called to do. Why do we believe that? We've answered the question in four ways so far, and we'll add two last uh, components today. Uh, we printed those on the front of your handout. I won't go through those uh, and, and take up time, but you can see that we've been working our way through that. As we've done so, we've looked at several different scripture passages. Again, we won't take the time to go through all of those. But uh, if you wanted to dig more deeply and review, if you missed a week and want to go back and dig in and see, you know, I, I think Jimmy's talking more like the culture and not like the Bible. Look, look at the Bible. Here, here are some places in Scripture that um, show us God's heart with respect to these things. Uh, I would point out that uh, there's a typo in there, the third bullet point. Many Psalms have an all-nations focus. You could strike through the word point. So I was trying to make up my mind whether to say point to or have, and tried to say both at once. So that, that didn't make sense. If you turn to the back of that first page, you'll see two scripture passages that we want to highlight this morning. And then we'll give the, the final two parts to uh, the answer to our, our overarching question. I want to start, it, uh, start with uh, just a review of a concept from Ephesians chapter 2 that we've touched on already. And then introduce a new concept from the book of Acts chapter 6. So, uh, God's vision, according to Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20, is for the church. That's a word that simply means assembly, congregation, gathering. It's, it's people gathering um, because we have one thing in common, which is Jesus. And a desire to honor God through a relationship with Jesus. God's vision is for that gathering to be a place where all ethnoi, all nations, all people groups can say, and now we'll quote from the scripture, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So, absorbing that for a moment. When we talk about diversity and unity among all peoples in the church, we are talking about the heart of Jesus. If you build in a structure where Jesus is the chief cornerstone, what kind of building should you get at the end? You should get one in which all ethnoi, all people groups could say, we aren't strangers here. We may be different from one another, but that doesn't make us strange to one another. Um, we aren't all identical, and yet we are all one. Right? And that is not adding something to the gospel. That is working out what it means to have Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's, that's the way I'm, I'm reading the text. Right? And when we do that, we're building on a foundation, apostles and prophets. So that's a way of summarizing the, the witness of the New Testament Scriptures, the apostles and the Old Testament Scriptures, the prophets. So this is something that's been on God's heart for since He started communicating to us. This is not a new emphasis. That trendy, modern, woke, social justice warrior churches are adding to Christianity. This is us just trying to catch up with what the apostles and prophets have always said with what it means to have Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Uh, let me read for you a, a, some words that probably do better justice to this passage than I could. This is a book called Dynamic Diversity brought by an author named Bruce Milne, M-I-L-N-E. He's a pastor in Canada, um, Baptist 
pastor in Canada and um, has a lot of experience in these things. He says when God calls us together uh, in Christ, we are called to live out a communal experience in which there are no second class people and in which all the divisions of the surrounding culture fall under the feet of our crucified, risen, and reigning Lord. Called to live out life in community where there are no second class people and where all the things that divide in the world around us are coming increasingly under the feet of Jesus. We won't get that perfect. It won't be easy. It's not immediate change, uh, but it's very real. And and, uh, this is... Bruce Milne's take on uh, what Paul means when he writes words like this in Ephesians and uh, in the book of Colossians, which we'll be talking about in our uh, worship service today. So uh, this book didn't make it to our resource list because I forgot I had it. I pulled it out uh, this week to look a little more deeply and uh, would add that to uh, a, a list of very helpful recommended resources. Uh, particularly his chapter on uh, Jesus and the apostles and how these themes wove through their uh, ministry and teaching. So, uh, a second scripture text to think here about, uh, about leadership in particular. So, in the book of Acts, there, it's just a book full of crises, right? The, the church is just facing one crisis after another. It makes me feel better as a pastor, Right? When something goes wrong, I'll be like, hey, th- these are our people. We are, this is not a shock that, that crises will face us. Okay? One of the earliest crises happened because of cultural differences. Dispute between two ethnic groups. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, growth, that's good, right? Well, with growth comes pain. There's the growth. Number of disciples is increasing in the city of Jerusalem. Now here comes the pain. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. Now all of these people have become believers in Christ. They're all from Jewish backgrounds, but they come from different places. Some grew up in Palestine and speak Aramaic and and are conversant with Hebrew. They're called the Hebraic Jews here. Jewish Christians who uh, come from a Hebrew Aramaic culture, Palestinian culture. And then there are Grecian Jews. These are Jewish Christians who were uh, born or raised outside the land of Palestine in the Jewish diaspora that spread out through all these nations who have immigrated to Palestine and now live in Jerusalem. The widows apparently were not receiving equal treatment as the church was giving gifts of money to support uh, those in need. That uh, I wonder who is coming out ahead in that. The immigrant culture or the majority culture? We know how that's going to work, right? So um, here's, here's a crisis. And the apostles said, this is no big deal. You know, we're just going to split into two churches. We'll have a Greek-speaking church and a Hebrew-speaking church and we'll just go our separate ways. Not what they said, right? They said, this is so important that for us to deal with it, we would have to stop the things that Jesus has called us to focus on in terms of preaching and, and gathering groups for worship and evangelism. This is so important. It would take that kind of energy and dedication and effort. So, let's raise up new leaders to deal with it. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. Some people see this as merely an administrative issue. There's money and it's not being handed out fairly, so we need some good bean counters. Some accountants. Right? That's not what's happening, is it? There is that component. But that's happening because there's an ethnic, cultural gap. 
So what is required here is more than just administrative wisdom. It's administrative wisdom plus great people skills and great ability to make sure that there's justice across cultural and ethnic majority-minority gaps. Here's the first century church facing some of the real hardship of being a diverse church. And not running from it, but saying, this is going to take our wisest, most skilled, most pastorally sensitive, dedicated leaders. And we will hand this over to them. And then notice what's happened. They choose seven, uh, seven people. They aren't called deacons in the text. The church tradition is to call these seven the first uh, deacons. That's a longer conversation we won't have right now. Notice their names. They chose Stephen and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. When you study all those names, you recognize that none of them are traditional Hebrew names. There's no Joshua in here. There's no Moises, Moses. There's no Adam, right? All seven of these people are immigrants who grow up outside the land of Palestine, whose very names say, I am a minority. And look what the church does. They say, at this moment, when there's this crisis brewing, minority leaders will have a skill at managing this crisis that we desperately need. And the church in the middle of this early crisis says, you know, the best way to be sure that this divide between us doesn't get bigger is to give all the leadership in this issue to a minority group. Are we ready to do that? when we need to. The text raises that kind of question for us. We'll talk in a moment about how that's starting to happen in our own uh, denomination, in our day. And so, all kinds of things going on in that uh, passage. Number one, the church ought to be a place of great charity where if someone has a need, we are giving and generous. Right? Money is being handed out to these widows. And so the, the text just presupposes generosity among God's people. Um, that generosity should not uh, run along minority-majority culture lines. It shouldn't run along lines that favor one ethnic group over another. That's what led to the crisis in the first place. And then notice how the whole church in Jerusalem says, you know what, even though most of us come from the Hebrew-speaking Palestinian culture, we are willing to recognize that our minority brothers and sisters can also be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So that's a win for the church. Right When the church says, the Holy Spirit, when He gives out wisdom, doesn't limit Himself to one ethnicity. He doesn't limit Himself to the majority. He gives gifts to all His people. And uh, so there are tons of things going on in this text about charity and about the need for um, lots of different kinds of leaders in, in a church But there are also some implications here for us as we think about relationships between minorities and majority cultures in the church and uh, immigration issues and and quite honestly the fact that it's hard to be a diverse church. It would be easier if we could just say, oh man, let's let's avoid some of those things and uh, just focus on one kind of people. Now, the, the problem comes when you try to define who's the one kind. Is the one kind of people not only, you know, they, they got the right skin color, but they also speak with the right accent. 
So I know what it is to live in parts of the world where if I spoke the accent that I grew up speaking with, people would assume I'm stupid. Right? You, you live in the Midwest for 13 years and you suddenly start to you know, swallow a little bit of that southern draw you grew up with. Because you don't want to be treated like you're stupid. And so it, the Holy Spirit makes those things easy for us. And He simply says, don't even try to define who the right kind of people are. And, and just become a church that says, Lord, we, we want to be, we, we be this new humanity where there aren't any foreigners or aliens. Where we're all one people one family under one Father, one foundation given to us in the Scriptures by the apostles and prophets, and one chief focal point who is Jesus. So, very quickly, two last ways of answering our question. Why is in town pursuing these things? Hey, Scripture says that it's the heart of Christ, it's the heart of the Scriptures, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We've work through several ways to answer this question. Two last ones. We're doing this because of who we are as a congregation. In town is a church whose DNA has cross-cultural calling stamped all over it. Right? From its earliest days, in town's heartbeat has included a desire to see the gospel flourish across boundaries of place and culture and nationality. Talk to somebody who's been here a long time and you'll know that there were People signing up for short-term mission trips from the earliest days of in-town, right? Because there's this heartbeat of the gospel ought to cross all kinds of boundaries of place and culture and nationality. One expression of that is short-term missions ministry. Um, And uh, so what happened is is that a lot of in-towners went and got a vision for that kind of thing and brought it back here. And... uh, Again, talk, talk to some, some of the people who are most involved right now in building relationships uh, with, with a wide range of people, culturally and ethnically. And you'll find that they went on one of those trips in the early days of in-town, and they kind of got this infection, right? Not the kind you try not to get when you go uh, around the world to another place, but, but this sense of, I think what God does through missionaries in other places and also happen right here. We can be missionaries here. Um, and uh, so what that has led to is, is really an unusual situation in which uh, in town is the home to many uh, missionaries and missionary uh, missions-minded people uh, whose service might be here in Atlanta. It might be through paid Uh, positions with Christian ministries. It might be through uh, other charitable organizations. It might be just through volunteer efforts. Um, Our global partners team, uh, currently we have 27 different missionary units, I call them. So the Davila family, two parents, two children, they're one missionary, right? So when I say 27, you got to add and multiply that, right? There are 27 different families or or individuals serving as missionaries out of in-town right now. Of those 27, in most churches, it would be typical to have maybe three or five of those would actually be members of our congregation. Most churches partner with uh, missionaries who who are members of other churches. At in-town, of those 27, 17 are currently members of our church. And 25 are current or former members of in-town or children who grew up here. And so all that says to me is this is already in our DNA, right? We're we're just, God's calling us to steward what He's already given us for maximum impact. Now, we aren't, aren't all equally gifted at building relationships across cultural and ethnic lines. We aren't all equally experienced. We probably aren't equally passionate about it. But that's what we're called to. We all have a role to play in this, right? 
guy going down the road to Samaria sees somebody beaten in the ditch, Jesus doesn't say, are you passionate about loving your neighbor? (laughs) Are you gifted at loving your neighbor? Are you experienced at loving your neighbor? He just says, you're called. And some of us are yeah, more gifted, more experienced, more passionate. But we all have a part to play. So part of what we're doing here is just being who we already are as a congregation. And then finally, uh, we're emphasizing this calling because of who we are as a denomination. Our parent denomination is the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, The idea of global missions has always been a core commitment for our denomination. But on the whole, at the local level, the PCA has tended to focus on loving a small subgroup of neighbors as ourselves. Primarily, white, upper middle class, affluent English speakers. That's right. We've had this vision and yet it's worked out on a global scale, but not always on a local scale. What we're sensing now is, Lord, help us. The scriptures say we should have been working this out on both scales all along. So we don't want to pull back from that global missions concern, but we want to catch up at the local level to where our heart has always been on the global level. And um, we're starting to see that that we're gathering some of that sense that you saw in Acts chapter 6 of saying we, we need leaders from minority groups and other cultures to help us. And so if you went to our last General Assembly, we meet once a year, representatives from every church in our denomination are invited And um, you would have seen the first Korean-American moderator of our General Assembly uh, handing the gavel to the first African-American moderator of our General Assembly. And um, that could say, you know, something kind of cynical, like, "Eh, it's just tokenism and it's just window dressing. What that really means in our denomination, though, is that that these leaders will have influence that runs far beyond the one-year term that they serve as moderator of our General Assembly. And that there are far more people looking to men like Alexander, Korean-American brother, like Irwin, African-American brother, looking to them for guidance and leadership and saying, These are men known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we need their help. Okay, let's talk practically for a moment, and then I'm going to invite some panel members up to uh, talk to us. Look on the third page of our handout. We've got some practical steps listed there. Let me work backward through them, just because sometimes I'm that way. Read. Read an article or a book by somebody whose background is different from yours. We've listed a few there and added a fifth today uh, called Dynamic Diversity. Uh, The more you love reading, the more likely that is to have a pretty significant impact on you. Uh, Second, go on a short-term mission trip. Uh, Yeah, go see what God is doing among different people in a different place and come back to in town in Atlanta with a bigger vision and um, greater sense of, of calling to build the same kind of relationship here in this place that you would learn to do in another place. We've listed here several options that are coming up uh, this year. And uh, we had a visitor here last week from the last trip that went to the Holy Land um, uh, an Israeli pastor. And uh, you want to start learning about building bridges across cultural gaps. And you, you sit and talk to how Israeli Christians and Arab Christians are learning to love one another in Christ. And you start to sense, man, more growth is possible here than we might imagine. So, yeah, sign up. Join us. Uh, fill out an application. If you don't know who to contact, John and Sue Birch are your people, and you'll see their email there. Um, Attend in-town ESL for Peace on a Sunday at 9.30. There are other times during the week that uh, ESL for Peace has 
classes. Uh, the most convenient, if you're here right now, would be to come on a Sunday morning at 9.30. You'll see some details there and, and contact information. Attend IFC, International Friendship Community, on a Sunday at 9.30. Um, great place to have conversation, get to know someone from another culture, and be around uh, uh, folks at InTown who really just kind of embody this calling and uh, from whom we have a lot to learn. And then, kind of simplest level, just make an appointment to have coffee. Or tea, if that's your thing. It's my thing. Uh, lunch, breakfast, hangout, workout uh, with somebody who's different from you. And don't say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your experience as a minority. Or I'd like to talk to you about racial reconciliation. Can we Just say... Can we get lunch? Can we be friends? You know, check yes or no. That sort of first grade, will you be my friend? Check yes or no. You never know where there's friendships will lead, right? Um, and, and how God will use them. Uh, so should, should that be time with somebody who's not a Christian or someone who is a Christian? I think either one would be valuable, helpful, healthy extension of uh, who we're called to be. So, those are a few practical suggestions. Let me invite uh, Jay Thompson to come up, Susie Glaze, Jason Kang, Angela Nance, and Stephen McGinnis. For those of you who don't know, um, Jason is one of our elders. Stephen McGinnis is RUF campus minister at Emory University. Angela Nance, a longtime in-town member who uh, works at our denominational headquarters and, and is in touch with some things that are going on more broadly in our parent denomination, the PCA. Uh, Susie Glaze, longtime in-town member, uh, mother of some quite wonderful children, I should add. And... Um, Married to Kirk, who's one of our elders. Jay Thompson is um, an elder at In Town and snazzy dresser <laughs> who ties all his own bow ties. That's a really important thing to know about Jay. Uh, so, let me just, I'm, I'm going to hand the microphone over here, let you guys pass it among yourselves, and just kind of throw things open for you to say what. What's, what's maybe the, the highlight that you've been learning over the past few weeks as you've been hearing uh, in our times together when we had Erwin Ince join us a couple weeks ago? Um, how are you seeing that intersect with your own heart, your own life, your own sense of calling personally or the calling of in town corporately? I'll just throw it open for you to name, name a highlight. And um, let's see. We, we have some time, so don't feel rushed. Uh, I'm short, so I've got to stand so I can see everybody. Um, as Jimmy mentioned, I'm Jay. And I think the highlight, um, I've thought a lot about this as we've gone through these four weeks. And I think the highlight is God has put us as a community in a context and a part of town. And he's put me personally into a context and a part of a work situation, and most of my co-workers are on visas to work in the United States. I work for a software company, and uh, most of them don't speak English, and as a white male, I'm a minority of work, and so there's an interesting dynamic for me in my context, and so the beauty of this is I can sense the Holy Spirit in my life uh, in my context, leading me to do things. And again, it's not a story of, um, you know, let me walk you through Romans or let me walk you through the four spiritual laws. It's merely the idea that I can, starting in my heart, love and serve these people. And I even hesitate to use that term, these people, because that's a divide, of course. Uh, but love and serve my co workers. 
uh, who are mainly uh, from the subcontinent of India and from China. And uh, again, it's it's and they all stand in the break room and speak a different language than me. Um, and so it's not just sort of the historic black-white in America. Um, it, it, it's in a, a dozen different directions. And for my context, it's what it is. And the Holy Spirit can lead me just as he can lead you guys. Um, so it starts in my heart with my attitude and uh, how do I and how can I really love someone who's different than me. Thank you, Jay. She said, now skip. Uh, I'm going to say that because Jay wants us all to stand up, so I've already felt that pressure. Uh, I'm afraid I might be taking one of Jason's answers, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, one of the things that um, most impacted me with my anxiety, I spent some time with Irwin before our large group in the afternoon, but one of the things that he mentioned was asking people who are minorities what they've given up to come to a PCA church. And there were answers. And that is not something that I have been familiar with. That's not something I think about. But the answers were things like my community, my family, I am coming in and giving things up to go to a PCA church. And that families tell these people, we'll be here for you once you are alienated by that church. You can come back to us. And that is something that I've been really ruminating on over the last two weeks. He's here two weeks ago. Um, that has just really provoked me to think of how I, and especially in our Atlanta area, when I feel uncomfortable, I switch churches. And there are many churches in our area where... Oh, I can just find my new comfort there because there are people just like me. And to think of how I may need to become uncomfortable to make people feel welcome has just kind of blown me out of the water. And so that's one of the things that I've really taken away from. How do I make people feel welcome? And that may mean making me feel So one thing that, the main thing that stuck out to me um, with uh, Dr. Hiss's time with us was uh, I came away thinking that the gospel has uh, the power to change lives. Um, he preached on uh, the resurrection power of Jesus and just hearing more than anything his story of how he went from being a radical black nationalist and just me wondering what led him to that and then coming to faith in a historic African-American church and then exploring the scriptures and um, being led to a historically southern white Presbyterian church with racism in its history. We talked about preaching uh, First Press Augusta and looking out and, and seeing where slaves would have, would have sat. And, and so for me, to hear a story like that can only point to the power of the gospel to change someone's life. Um, to be in a denomination where there's still only 1% of the pastors being African American. And um, so for me, I think it's encouraging to, to see that no matter what our starting point is, um, God has the power to, to change us in ways that, that we can't imagine. And um, so more than anything, I think that, that excites me um, about how God can change my life, how God can change our church. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Um, I'm going to stay seated if that's okay. Um, and, uh, I don't know, Jason, I'm not pressured. Oh, you have to stand up. Yep, yep. <laughs> Uh, my name is Stephen McGinnis. I'm campus minister at Emory University. Uh, and experientially, I was sort of thrown into um, a situation where I had to figure out quickly how to live in a pretty diverse 
environment. So it's really been the last, really I've been around there for about 11 years now, started helping out with projects there in 2007. Um, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting journey for me, and I've had to do a lot of hard learning, and I've said a lot of dumb things uh, to some of my students who are minorities, uh, especially in the early days, uh, when I didn't understand cultural context. And, uh, my brothers and sisters uh, have helped me greatly in the last number of years sort of understand how to, to even talk to minorities to a lot of stuff for granted. Um, so I've learned, I've learned uh, a lot the hard way. One of the things I wanted, just on this first question, wanted to highlight about Dr. Ince was how you have to start foundationally with the understanding of the Imago Dei, right, or the, the image of God. And um, the reason why is because when the church historically has run afoul in terms of race and ethnicity, it's usually because we have lost our vision of the fact that we are uh, created in the image of God. And um, that's where a lot of problems have developed. C.S. Lewis says in The Way of Glory that you, know, you have never met a mere mortal. And when it comes to race we have, uh, and ethnicity, you know, we, we've forgotten that. Um, it's amazing in Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount, when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. Uh, we just came out of Martin Luther King, and as, as Dr. H was talking about this, I thought to myself, the fact that we celebrate Martin Luther King Day is a testimony that for a lot of our history, we have not done the Golden Rule very well. Um, and so that was, that's, that's been convicting to me as I've sort of thought about that in relationship to... What are I really believe about us all being created in the image of God? Alright, before I start preaching on it. So see? No, no. Let's hear what you have to say. Okay. Come on. Alright, well. <laughs> the reason I didn't jump up for the first question is because I was here last week and kind of talked about that. But I did want to talk about um, the ESL ministry here. Um, we had heard Ben Allen talk about ESL for a long time, and last year Kirk and I decided that we wanted to get involved, but we were really careful in the beginning not to overcommit, so we um, said that we would come twice a month on Tuesday nights to the English classes. But really, once we got uh, went to the first class, we were pretty much all in, and we're there every week now. Um, we've had the privilege of getting to know people from all over the world, so many different countries, cultures, backgrounds. Some are um, scholars who are here short-term. Others are um, immigrants or refugees who will be living here long-term. And they're wonderful people that we've really grown to love and care about. And I think I never realized... Um, what true community with people from all over the world look like and how that's part of God's beautiful beautiful plan. Um, the people we work with are extremely grateful to the volunteers, but really it's a privilege for us to get to know them and spend time with them. Um, they like to share with us about their backgrounds and their culture, um, their religions, and um, Early on, we got to know uh, two doctors from Turkey, and we spent time with them outside of the classes. And before they returned to Turkey, they told us that we were the first Christians they had ever known. Um, there's also a young man that we've gotten to know who is from Vietnam, and he had lived in the States for over a year before coming to ESL. And within a month, he said that the, the friends he had made at ESL were the best friends he had ever had. And he um, became interested in learning more about the Bible, and now he meets weekly with a man um, to do Bible study. And then one Sunday morning, I was at uh, the Conversations, and I met with a young lady from Japan, and she shared with me that um, before coming to the States, she her view of Christians was that they were um, judgmental and not very open or loving. She said, since she's been here, um, she realizes that Christians love people from all over and from many different faiths. And she often will stay on Sunday morning 
for the interreligious Bible study because she is interested in learning more about Christianity and the Bible. So for me, it's been a privilege to see God working through this ministry, and I've been here for over 30 years, and it's really been one of the most exciting ministries I've been a part of since I've been here. And we need volunteers, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to each of you uh, for sharing those things. Um, Stephen, for reminding us of that foundational image of God, truth that again is right there at the beginning of Scripture, right? Genesis 1. That's supposed to color everything else. Um, so, foundation of the prophets and the apostles. It's, it's there across Scripture. Um, Angela, I was really struck by something you said that I think could be the Holy Spirit's way of really changing our whole church. Here's what I wrote down. If you're a note taker, maybe you wrote it down too. Maybe I got it wrong and you can correct me if I missed a detail. Angela said, I may need to become uncomfortable to make people feel welcome. Jason talked about the power of the gospel to change people. I think Angela just summed up the gospel for us, right? Jesus became uncomfortable to make people feel welcome. Now that's an understatement of what he did, right? But it's, it's an accurate description of what humbling yourself to come from fellowship with the Father to all the limitations of humanity and the sufferings of life in this world and crucifixion in order to welcome us into the Father's family. What a powerful summary of the Gospel. Thank you. I want to take a moment to do two other things. First is to play a moment of trivia. Those of you who are somewhat familiar with our denomination, do you have any idea what the largest church in the PCA is? Briarwood in, in Alabama. What city in Alabama is it in? Birmingham. Birmingham. Uh, roughly how many members would you guess? 3,000? 5,000 maybe? Any other guesses? Largest church in the PCA? It's not too far from here. The one I'm thinking of, Perimeter. About 5,000 members at Perimeter. If you walked into one of those churches, what would be the majority culture? White. White, yeah. Largest church in our denomination is actually 11,000 members. It's in Anaheim, California. It's a Korean-American congregation. I didn't know that until this week. Right? So A, that, that says I've got a lot to learn. B, it says, maybe the Lord has already made us more diverse than we realize, and we just need to grow into who He's already making us to be. Um, So, yeah, there are uh, nine Korean language presbyteries in uh, the PCA, and uh, one, uh, uh, let's see, how do the numbers work here? There's a 15% and a 10%. 15% of churches in the PCA are Korean language churches or, or English ministries of Korean churches. There's kind of a first and second generation dynamic there. But 15% of our churches have a significant Korean cultural and language component. But 10% of our members... Right, so that tells us that those churches are large churches. The number of the percentage of churches is smaller than the percentage of members, and so this is a fact that um, most most of us just don't know. And um, so again, God's already doing some 
some things with his church and his body and his people. And uh, Jason has recently given me a book about the spread of the gospel in Korea um, that, uh, you know, again, opening our eyes. So that takes us back to our list of practical things that the Holy Spirit might be calling you to do, ways to make yourself uncomfortable so that others can feel welcome. Um, Last thing I'll mention is on the very back of our handout, Andrew has put together for us a list. This is the last of our joint uh, Sunday morning life group time until we'll do this again in the summer. I don't yet know what that topic will be, but stay tuned. Uh, Between now and then, we'll have a separate life groups meeting on Sunday mornings, and Andrew's given us a list of which groups we'll meet and where and what the focus would be in the coming weeks. So, Uh, I want to say before we pray to close, just a huge thank you to Andrew Flackard for all the work that he's done. (laughs) To uh, put this together. And thanks to all of you guys for being with us this morning. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for uh, Jay's testimony that he senses the Holy Spirit calling him. um, That that uh, these emphases are not just human wisdom, but the Spirit at work for uh, Jason's testimony and Susie's, that the gospel can change lives and that uh, the simple acts of friendship can help people from another nation have a radically different view of what Christians are like which would then open the door for them to have a very different view of who Jesus is and what our gospel is like. Thank you, Lord, for um, being with us this morning. And Would you help us to grow? And would you show us yourself again as we gather to honor you and to be reoriented um, after... A week of many difficult things to be reset in our hearts and souls and minds and spirits for the week ahead through your worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.